Well, welcome everyone. Again, if you have a Bible, turn with me to Romans chapter 8. We're going to be looking at Romans 8 for the next three weeks. And uh, if you've been around New City Church or been around me, you know my love and affection for the, I think, one of the greatest chapters uh, in the scriptures. And so we're going to be continuing our series in uh, Romans, uh, Grace for the Nations. And, and and we get to this kind of middle portion of the book uh, that really, I think, summarizes a lot of what's going on in Paul Paul's teaching to this this church. And, and Romans is addressed to this small church, uh, a group of young Christians. Uh, Paul is never met them, uh, but he wants them to know the gospel. Um, not only to know the gospel, but but he wants them to live by it, to experience the the power of it. Um, he didn't just want them to understand and have have ideas uh, about it, but he wanted them to experience and, and, and wanted them to see their lives uh, changed by it. Um, and, and that's where when we we pick it up in Romans eight is really about how the gospel changes us and how the spirit of God works in and, and through us to change us. And as we follow Christ, and so I think the the centrality of, of Paul's teaching, his theology, can really be found in Romans 8. And I think that's why Romans is, is so near and dear, so many people's hearts and so many pastors and, and, and Christians around the world for, for many uh, generations is because of just the, the, the comfort it brings us, uh, the, the, uh, the, the joy it brings us knowing that God has done something on our behalf, that He is for us and not, uh, against us. And, um, I, I love what, um, Charles Hodge, he's an old Presbyterian theologian and, the, and Dr. Martin Lloyd Jones said about this passage and why it's so dear to, I think, to so many people is, um, Hodge said, the whole chapter is a series of arguments most beautifully arranged in support of this one point. And then Martin Lloyd-Jones goes on to explain, I make bold to assert that the great theme of chapter 8 is not sanctification. The great theme is the security of the Christian. Uh, the idea that we have assurance that, that God is never going to leave us or forsake us, that we are secure in the arms of our heavenly Father, that, that God is for us and not against us, that, that Christ died for us, He rose for us, but He also comes by His Spirit to give us His personal presence to, to live with us, to be with us. And that's really amazing news if you really think about the, the, this idea that God Himself, the creator of heaven and earth, the, the creator of, of every molecule, of every cell, the creator of you and me, everything we see and can't see, this God came to live with us and desires relationship and fellowship with us. And so I think that's why Romans 8 has this, this special place, I think, in the scriptures and for us as we, we think about what it means to be uh, secure uh, in the arms of our, our Heavenly Father. So why don't we read that together? Um, and, and what I want to do this morning is simply kind of look at Paul's argument for why that is and, and the, the blessings of salvation that have come to us in Christ, but then also some implications of how do we walk in the power of the Spirit. Now that we have the Spirit of Christ living in us and through us, what does that mean? How do we walk with Him uh, day to day? And that's really what, what Romans 8 is about. So let's read that together. Romans chapter 8, I'm just going to read the first 13 verses here uh, this morning, uh, and then we'll look at uh, the rest of the book, the rest of the chapter the next couple of weeks. Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin He condemns sin in the flesh, in order that the righteousness requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. 
For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Verse 12, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. This is the word of God for us here this morning. And so so what I want to do briefly with you, with us this, this morning, is to look at the, the foundational blessings and privileges that we have in Christ and what he's accomplished uh, for us. All the things that Paul's been talking about before verse 8, and then some implications of how do we walk in the freedom of the Spirit? What, what does that look like to, to be changed by the Spirit of God, to be changed by this gospel uh, that we've been talking about for many weeks here? So first, The foundational blessing privilege of salvation in Christ is simply this. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We saw that in in verse one. There is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. If even if we could just pause for a second and look around, if you're with other people, with your family, with your kids, just say that to them right now. There's no condemnation for those who in Christ Jesus. This is the greatest news that the world has ever heard. That's why this chapter is so important for us to understand who God is and what he's doing uh, in our lives and what he's doing in the in the world this before we can walk in the spirit we need to understand this foundational blessing and privilege of salvation no condemnation for those who in in Christ Jesus now if you notice he says there is therefore so always what is the therefore for well we look back and we don't know how far paul is going backwards but he's saying all that I've said, all that I've said about the gospel, all that I've said that has been accomplished by Christ um, for you, now there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. So, so all your assurance and hope in your life is built on this reality that, that God is for you and not against you. And this idea of justification and condemnation really are the same idea because if you go back to chapter 5, verse 1, Paul says very similarly, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so most commentators would suggest that what Paul's saying in verse, in chapter five, therefore there is, uh, you are justified, you are made right with God, the penalty of sin has been paid on your behalf by faith. Now you have this peace with God. Now in verse, in chapter eight, he's saying, now there's no condemnation for you that are in Christ Jesus. Those that are trusting in Christ, the penalty of sin has been paid by the work of Christ. All the, the demands of the law have been paid for by Christ. So the, the, this foundational blessing and privilege of salvation, there's no condemnation, past, present, or future. We have right standing. We have peace. We have life with God. If you ever hear a word of condemnation in your mind, in your mind or in your heart or in your ears that, that, that come from God, it's not from God. 
He never speaks a word of condemnation to his people, ever. That's what Paul's saying here in the first verse. So, So let's not make this word small in our lives. We need to make it huge because... Condemnation for past sins, present sins are, are done away with. So, so condemnation is not a thing for the Christian. Now, unfortunately, some still think that condemnation is coming two ways. One is from our past. All the things, Ryan, that I've done in my past. All You don't understand the mess I've made in relationships. You, you don't understand what I've done. There, there's no way God is not punishing me or condemning me for those sinful acts, whatever those may be. Paul says, no, that's done. Then you don't understand the gospel. Yes, there is no condemnation. You are justified by faith. You have peace with God. You have right standing with God. He doesn't hold those things against you. Now, others would say, well, what about the future? What about the present? Some would think that condemnation is coming every time I sin. Not true. Jesus never speaks a word of condemnation to his people ever, even when we sin and fall short of God's commands and God's ways. We are safe, we are secured, we are loved and welcomed into the gracious arms of our Heavenly Father because of what Christ has accomplished on our behalf. The therefore is all about what Christ has uh, accomplished. That we were dead in Adam, but we're alive in, in Christ. I, I think uh, this is a helpful uh, illustration that, that I was reading this week, and it comes from Martin Lloyd, Lloyd-Jones, and he uses the, the imagery of, of a marriage <clears throat> And he says this, the difference between an unbeliever sinning and a Christian sinning is the difference between a man transgressing the laws of the state and a husband who has done something he should not do in his relationship with his wife. He's not breaking the law. He is wounding the heart of his wife. That is the difference. It's no longer a legal matter. It's a matter of personal relationship and love. The man does not cease to be the husband legally in that instance. Law does not come into the matter at all. In a sense, it is now something much worse than a legal condemnation. I would rather offend against the law of the land objectively outside of me than hurt someone whom I love. In that case, you have sinned, of course, but you have sinned against love. So you may and you should feel ashamed, but you should not feel condemnation. Because to do so is to put yourself back under law. We could say to do so would be to put yourself back under sin. So that when you and I sin, it's a wound of love. Yes, we've hurt and wounded the heart of God. When we hurt our spouse, or we hurt our kids, or we hurt a neighbor, whatever that may be, it doesn't mean that the, the relationship has ended. We still love each other. We're still in a relationship. It's been fractured, but there's no condemnation any longer. God doesn't leave us. He doesn't abandon us every time we sin because we know the cross proves that, right? We've been outed. He's seen the worst of us, yet while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. He's seen even what we're going to do in the future, and yet he was willing to die a sacrificial death on our behalf. We've all been outed. So there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. That's the the place we begin when we understand how to walk in the power of the Spirit. It, it, It begins with God saying to us, you're not condemned, you're loved, you're secured. You're mine, you belong to me. But secondly, there's another blessing, I think, and privilege of salvation in Christ. Um, and it's simply this, is that we've been freed from the bondage of sin to now live in the power of the Spirit. 
And so th- this is where Paul, we're going to see all these, these four words, which we also could translate because he's going to begin to explain, well, how is this, this, this act of no condemnation? How is that true? How is that possible? So now he's going to kind of explain to us, well, how did Christ do it? How did he make this possible? How can we say that? How can we believe that? How can we walk in that? Is that really true? So, so how does God do it? Notice all, all the fours here in, in verse two. He says, for the law, or you could say, because the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Verse three, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So two things happen here. How does God accomplish this? How are we freed from the bondage of sin and the law, but now we're freed to walk in the power of the Spirit? Well, the first thing is that God sends His Son, Jesus, as a human to become sin for us. He becomes a sin offering for us. Paul will say that in 2 Corinthians, that Jesus becomes a sin offering for us. His righteousness, His perfect record, His His perfect life on our behalf becomes our righteousness. We receive his perfect moral record. So in verse three, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh. So Jesus becomes man and walks among us, but in his flesh on the cross, he takes sin upon himself. He takes the law upon himself and fulfills it perfectly because he lived a perfect spotless life, a life you and I uh, couldn't live, a, a death we should have died, but he dies in our place so that in him, we are now united to him in his death, but also as we've talked about in Romans 6, we're united to him in his resurrection. So the penalty of, of, of sin was paid by Jesus by his own flesh. But secondly, God also not only defeats sin legally for us, so that debt sin is paid for, that sin of debt is paid for us, but he also wipes it out of our lives. That's what verse 4 is all about. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So we no longer walk according to the flesh, the sinful nature, the sinful desires that were in us because of Christ's work on our behalf. We now have the Spirit living in us that He doesn't just want us to have a right standing with God, that there's no condemnation, there's no penalty against us, which is great and amazing and beautiful, yes and amen. But now, He doesn't want sin to take hold of our lives. He wants to wipe it clean from our lives. He wants to give us a new power, and ultimately that power is the power of the Holy Spirit. I love the way John Stott talks about this verse. He says it this way, we are set free from the law as a way of acceptance. So we're not accepted by God's commands by how well we keep the law, but obliged to keep it as a way of holiness. It is a, as it is a ground of justification that the law no longer binds on us. But as a standard of conduct, the law is still binding, and we seek to fulfill it as we walk according to the Spirit. That's what we've been talking about in verse in chapter seven and in chapter six. The law still has a place in our lives, but 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 our standard before God, our right standing before God, is not how well we keep His commands. But now the law functions as a guidepost to know how do we walk in the power of the Spirit. How do we know if we're walking in the power of the Spirit? Well, the law the commands of God reveal that to us. How do we know if we're loving God with all of our heart and loving our neighbor as ourselves? The law helps us. It becomes a guide. But the power living in us is the Spirit of God. It's not keeping rules and commands. It's God himself living through us that gives us the ability to even keep the law 
in the first place. So we've been set free from sin and the law to now walk in a new power, the power of the Spirit. So, so all that Christ has been doing, all that Christ did was to accomplish so that we could live a joyful and free and holy life empowered by Him in the Spirit. His incarnation is coming to us in the flesh. His death, His resurrection is all designed for our godliness and our holiness in the power of the Spirit. That's what Romans 8, we'll get to that in a couple weeks, but Romans 8, 29 says, Romans 8, 29, for those conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. The plan of salvation was to form us and conform us into the image of Christ. We've been called, we've been saved, we've been redeemed, we've been chosen by God to be justified in Christ, but also to be sanctified, but also to be glorified one day with Him. So all that God accomplished for us was so that now we can walk in a new freedom, in the freedom of the Holy Spirit. And really that's the greatest motivator for us for living godly lives is to look at what Christ has accomplished, to look at his love for us, that yet while we were sinners, Christ died for us. He was willing to lay his life down for us. They had no hope in the world, no way of being redeemed, no way of being forgiven, no way of having walking in newness of life. And yet he comes and he finds us and he redeems us and he restores us back to the, to the Father. So, so our motivation for living holy, godly, loving lives in the world is not based on uh, morality, but it's based on what Christ has done for us. It's what the gospel has accomplished for us. Which leads to the third blessing and privilege of salvation is that Christ gives us this whole new mindset and worldview and thinking about everything. That's what verses 5 to 8 are really about. Notice what Paul says, the dichotomy between walking in the flesh, our sinful desires, our selfish ego, versus walking in the power of the Spirit. Notice what he says here in verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So so Paul's using this dichotomy. Mind of the spirit, mind of the flesh. Mind on the things of God and the spirit and what Christ has accomplished. Mind on my selfish desires, uh, my selfish ego, uh, Things that are all about me and, and about how the world and the culture see things, the whole worldview that it, that it, that it sends to us. It says this is where the good life is really found as opposed to being Christ centered in our lives, looking to him for, for everything. And, and, and what Paul is teaching here is that, that the reality is that our minds shape our living and our character. Did you catch that in verse 5? He says, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Uh, verse 6, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. So he connects our minds and what they're attached to, but also how it shapes and informs our living and our character. So whatever we set our minds on is going to shape how we live our lives. And, and everyone, you know, minds something, sets our minds on, on something because this has this idea of focusing, you know, intently on something. 
being obsessed with something, to have your imagination and attention totally captured by something or someone. William Temple, uh, a former archbishop, said, your religion is what you do with your solitude. So, so what our minds grapple on and grasp on and, and cling to is really how it's going to shape what we live for. So we can either live for the flesh and live for this ourself, or we can live for the things of uh, the spirit. And it shapes the people that we're becoming. And so just a, a couple little thoughts here on, on the flesh and the spirit, because I think those get a little bit misunderstood, is, is really the, the flesh is, is the sinful part of us. Like our, our physical bodies are not bad. God doesn't see our bodies as bad things. But the flesh is Paul's way of talking about our sinful nature, the things that go against Christ, the things that war against his ways, loving him and, and loving our, our neighbors. It's, it's that selfish ego. It's the, the worldview that, that makes everything about us as opposed to Christ and God and, and his ways and glorifying him. So, so Paul's saying that that's the old person. That's how you used to be before Christ. That, that, that was the old man that, that, that every inclination of their heart was to love all the wrong things. But now you're a new creation. You're, you're, you're remade. You're renewed in the spirit to now love different things, to ultimately love God and love our neighbor as ourselves, to, to want to obey God and follow God. So what's the, the things of, of the spirit? Well, well, the reality is that we're designed to love and enjoy God and to do that in the world. So, so I think the things of the Spirit, which I, th- I think is just very much misunderstood. It's like, well, the things of the Spirit are I have to, you know, listen to only Christian radio, only watch Christian TV, you know, only talk about religious things and only read religious books and all those kinds of things. I don't think that's what uh, setting our minds on the Spirit is. Now, those aren't bad things. And, and Christian literature is great, and the scriptures are great, and, and all those things. But I think Paul has something bigger in mind here. Because the rest of Romans 8 is going to flesh out what does it mean to set our minds on the things of the Spirit. Which we could also ask the question, well, what does the Spirit actually do? Now, if you remember back in the Gospels, when Jesus does a lot of, John does a lot of teaching on the Holy Spirit, the, the Holy Spirit's always about making Christ central in our lives and reminding us and showing us who he is and what he's accomplished constantly. Some have said that this, the Spirit of God is always shining a giant spotlight on Christ and his work and his teaching and his ways, which I think aligns perfectly with Romans 8. If you go down to verse 14, we didn't read that this morning, but 14, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So, so, so setting our minds on the Spirit of God are to remember that we are sons and daughters of God. We are part of His family. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How often do our lives get off track when we forget that we belong to Jesus, that we are sons and daughters of the King, that no one can take that away from us, that when we fall into the, the mind of the flesh, it's to forget that reality that, no, 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 I belong to Jesus. I'm not going to live like that if I belong to Jesus. I'm not going to say that if I belong to Jesus. So it's always about our sonship and our daughtership before God, if you will. Secondly, I think the things of the Spirit also have to do with, with not living with a fear of rejection that God's going to somehow reject us. Because if you go on in verse 15, it says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. When you forget that you are totally, ultimately loved in this moment, not a future version of yourself, it changes everything. How many times have we gotten in that place of fear 
I'm condemned. I've screwed up. I can't believe I'm not, I'm not this far along. I can't believe I got angry like that. I can't believe I said that to my wife or my kids. Like, what is going on in me? And yet the Spirit, the things of the Spirit is to remind us that we're adopted in Christ, that we have sonship with Christ. And we're going to talk about that next week in more detail. We belong to Him. Nothing can take that away. God doesn't, if He's given us everything in Christ, He's given us every spiritual blessing, He's not going to go, time out, taking those back. You screwed up too much. No more. <laughs> That's not how this works. And then also, I, I think the things of the Spirit is also just the confidence to approach God in prayer. Later in, in chapter 8, uh, Paul says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We have access to God and to build friendship and relationship with God through prayer. That's what... All of this is pointing to a mind of the Spirit is that we have access to God. He doesn't push us out. We don't have to live in fear or guilt or condemnation over anything. When we feel overwhelmed or anxious about life or our situation, we can remember that God is with us and not against us. That, that, that if, if things are going well in our jobs or they're going terribly or we're not achieving the goals that we wanted to achieve or our health is failing or whatever, we continually come back to the things of the Spirit that says, you belong to God. You're safe in Him. You are loved. And it's not based on what you achieve. It's not based on how many goals you're, you're, you're hitting. It's not based on your bank account. It's not, it's not based on how well you're doing as a, a mother or father or uh, as, a, as, a, as a child, as a brother, as a sister. Th- those scales are gone because there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And, and that's why Paul kind of summarizes the reality that if you belong to Jesus— you have the Spirit of God living in you. They go together. That's where he went in, in verse 9. He, he changes it. He says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. The Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Every Christian, every disciple of Jesus is, is charismatic because the Spirit of God lives in them. If you are trusting in the person and work of Christ, the Spirit of God is yours to live in you, to help you walk in freedom. And the same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead will raise our mortal bodies one day, that we will be healed and restored and the whole universe will be healed and restored. Think about the the, the, the comfort that came to this little church that is being persecuted, that is small, that is that is struggling already only a few years into the faith. And he's saying that, that even the Spirit of God is going to raise your feeble, weak bodies to new life. You're going to be okay. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Not a pandemic, not cancer, not the loss of a job or loss of wages. Everything is f- secure in Christ. So the, the blessing is that we get this whole new mindset and worldview and thinking about everything. Now, let's as we kind of land the plane here this morning, is I just want to give you a couple implications of how do we walk in the Spirit uh, of Christ each and every day. What, what does it daily mean to set our minds on the things of the Spirit versus the things of the flesh? And the last couple of verses are really helpful. It says, so then, in verse 12, so then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. 
So there's an interesting verse in verse 13, you put to death the deeds of the body of the flesh. It's kind of what old theologians would call mortification of sin. That's because the, the King James used that word, the mortify, uh, mortification of sin, mortify our sin. So, so what that means is that we do have a part to play in walking in the power of the Spirit. Is that one is we're to ruthless and full heart, heartedly resist any sinful practice, reject any mindsets, any actions, any behaviors, any thoughts that are wrong that go against the things of the Spirit. Let me just say it this way. We don't play games with sin. We just don't. If we want to walk in the power of the Spirit and have the mind of the Spirit is we are to put to death all the deeds, the actions, the thoughts that lead to sin. We don't mess around with it. We don't play with fire. Because we know the, the power that sin can have. And, and that's why Paul earlier was, was just reminding us, not even non-believers that, that will ultimately be separated from God one day and lead to death because that's what sin does. But he's talking to believers too. He says we can, instead of walking in, the, in life and in peace and joy, we end up walking in death because of sin, because of sinful worldviews and things that, that, that sap our joy, things that go against the ways of the Spirit that we just talked, talked about in just a few moments ago. So, so we have this place to play. We have to put to death all sin daily, constantly. Anything that rises up in us that goes against the things of the Spirit. Now, secondly, we also need to change our motivation to sin by remembering the gospel. It means we need to change our motivation to sin by remembering the gospel. That's what verse 12 is about. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. So so our debts have been paid, but we're not debt, debtors to sin. We don't owe sin anything. It's already been accomplished. We have been indebted now to Jesus. So, so the, the ways we, we fight sin is to remember what he's accomplished on our behalf, to remember the gospel of grace that we feel the obligations of love and gratitude to serve and know God. That's how you fight sin. It's not focusing on the sinful actions necessarily. And again, we're to, as I just said, we're to mortify those things and fight those things and war against those things. But to really cut the root of sin is to look at the gospel and to see what Jesus has accomplished, constantly looking at it, constantly remembering it, that there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. That the more we see that, the more the, the gospel penny drops in our souls, the more we won't want to sin, the more we'll want to be obedient and live uh, lives of holiness. So I think included in this is that we need to learn how to preach many gospel sermons to our hearts and our souls. Now, I'm not talking about law sermons. Law sermons or about God's going to get me if I sin. Uh, I don't want to sin because it's against my Christian principles to sin or hurt my self-esteem or my reputation or what if I'm found out. That's, that's a law sermon. We're not preaching those sermons to our souls. We're, tr- we're preaching many grace sermons. Look what God has done for me. Is this how I'm going to respond to him? I'm going to walk in disobedience? Of course not. I want to take all my sin and all my temptations to the cross and to the gospel and find God's love there. That's what it means to preach gospel sermons, grace sermons to your soul, that there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Jesus died knowing all of me, knowing what I've done, knowing what I will do. He he laid his life down for me. I need to keep running back to the cross to sever the root of sins, to sever, sever the motivations of my own sin, to marvel and gaze at what Christ has done, the new power that has given me to walk 
walk in newness of life, to walk in the power of the Spirit, that Jesus is, a, is for me and not against me. Because if you're like me, most of the time when I sin, it's because I'm looking for love in all the wrong places. Maybe if I just had a little more respect. Maybe if I was just a little better at this. Or maybe, um, you know, people just don't, don't know who I am. So maybe if I could just be a little more popular, a little more successful. Or maybe the church was going a little bit better, then somehow my soul could be satisfied. And yet Jesus says, it's already been satisfied in me. Come to me. Find your worth. Find your value. Find your salvation. Find your redemption. Find your hope. Find your power ultimately in me. So it requires a daily constantly preaching many grace sermons to our own hearts and our own souls, that there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. That's the foundation for walking in the power of the Spirit, for setting our minds on the things of the Spirit and not the things of the flesh. And next week, we're going to look at our adoption in Christ and how that changes everything, which is another layer of this and how this changes us and how it changes how we live and how we deal with sin and how we walk in this same power. Let us pray. Father, thank you for the Spirit of Christ that lives and moves and dwells in us, that without the power of the Holy Spirit, we would never be able to follow you we would never be able to believe you. We would never be able to see you for who you are. We would never be able to be obedient to the commands you've laid before us. So thank you for Jesus who accomplished what we couldn't accomplish for ourselves, who announces over us today there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Nothing can separate us from your love, O oh God, not even life or death or famine or sword or pandemics. So thank you for those realities. Thank you for those truths. I pray that would shape how we look at you today, how we enjoy you this week, how we live our lives, that we would live and set our minds on the things of the Spirit and not the things of the flesh. So help us for your glory and for our good. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.